Our Bible reading this morning comes from Leviticus, chapter 23, which is on page 122 of your pew Bibles. And we start at the first verse. The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the Israelites and say to them, These are my appointed festivals, the appointed festivals of the Lord, which you are to proclaim as sacred assemblies. There are six days when you may work, but the seventh day is a day of Sabbath rest, a day of sacred assembly. You're not to do any work wherever you live. It is a Sabbath to the Lord. These are the Lord's appointed festivals, the sacred assemblies you are to proclaim at their appointed times. The Lord's Passover begins at twilight on the 14th day of the first month. On the 15th day of that month, the Lord's festival of unleavened bread begins. For seven days you must eat bread without any yeast. On the first day, hold a sacred assembly and do no regular work. For seven days, present a food offering to the Lord, and on the seventh day, hold a sacred assembly and do no regular work. The Lord said to Moses, speak to the Israelites and say to them, when you enter the land I'm going to give you, and you reap its harvest, bring the priest a sheaf of the first grains you harvest. He is to wave the sheaf before the Lord so it will be accepted on your behalf. The priest is to wave it on the day after the Sabbath. On the day you wave the sheaf, you must sacrifice as a burnt offering to the Lord a lamb a year old without defect, together with its grain offering of two tenths of an ephah of the finest flour mixed with olive oil, a food offering presented to the Lord, a pleasing aroma, and its drink offering of a quarter of a hin of wine. You must not eat any bread or roast or new grain until the very day you bring his offering to to God. This is to be the lasting ordinance for the generations to come wherever you live. Here ends our reading. Good morning, everyone. Let me just say, it is great to be here. I've got a million things in my head, so hopefully I can preach this message. And I have got some beautiful smells in my nostrils. Now, let me just say, if you're not a meat eater, uh, we've also got lamb. No, no, that's a joke. (laughs) Uh, We have got some smoked fish, fresh smoked this morning, salmon. And we have a smoked capsicum mushroom compote to go with the jacket potatoes. Uh, and we've got a green salad, so there's something for everyone out there. And if I can just say, I'm going to duck off after I've preached to go back out. It is feasting Sunday, and you'll see the significance of that as we go through. But I do want to say a couple of words of thanks. Uh, is Chris Coates here? Where's Chris? He's out there. Can I get you to thank Chris? He's been here since five o'clock stoking the fires. Even more impressive though, Tony Elmore slept overnight, okay, to make sure. Now, Tony's just gone for coffee, but he'll be back at 11. Uh, Do thank Tony. I came down here, I left about midnight, and Tony had his sleeping bag out, and he got up at three to put the lamb on, and anyway, the lamb is awesome, okay? It's just awesome. 
But anyway, apparently I've got a sermon to give, so um, I am excited about that too. <laughs> so let me pray. Father, we do thank you we can be here. It's wonderful to be able to celebrate and to be together on this wet and cold long weekend. May it be a memorable day for us, but most importantly, may you speak to us from your word, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, we're nearing the end of Leviticus, and for some of you, I know that will mean you're going to be disappointed, because I know for many people it's been a kind of surprising journey these last six, seven weeks. It's a book that I think people have been scared to go into, kind of wondered, does it have any relevance? And yet you see, really, it gives us a backdrop understanding for the gospel. I know there's others that will be breathing a sigh of relief. <laughs> How many weeks left? This is the second last week, okay? Um, and today we're going to look at chapter 23 about the festivals. And we live here in Manly and I know we love a good festival. Now there's all sorts of festivals that run in Manly, some of the more well-known ones. We've just had one of them, uh, which is typically on the last or second last week in May. It's the Food and Wine Festival, The Taste of Manly, great time, particularly when it doesn't rain, and uh, a chance to kind of flavour all the different flavours of the world. Um, another one which the artists love, and we've had people from our own congregations uh, represented in the Manly Arts Festival, uh, which is a great thing. I think we've been invited, uh, again, one of our artists to present this year, uh, a piece that you're actually going to see next week, which is a significant artwork, which is going to resemble our vision, but that's for next week. Um, but one of our favourite festivals is the Jazz Festival and if you've been at St Matt's before you know we love being a part of it and we think we've got the best show in town and Dave Henry, let me say, has got special plans for this year. I'm not going to spoil them but it's going to be big, okay? So don't go away October long weekend. That's uh, Scott there preaching last year but I don't know if you know this, there's actually an Aboriginal Indigenous festival running currently, the Gurungai Festival, celebrating Aboriginal culture and heritage on the Northern Beaches. Uh, not as well known but actually a number of events leading up to NAIDOC week which is at the beginning of July. And we live in Sydney and Sydney loves a good festival, who at the start of the year likes going to the Sydney Festival? No one? No, we just stay at Manly, don't we? <laughs> Why would you leave here? But there are things on in other parts of the city, just in case you didn't know. Um, and uh, the Sydney Festival runs, it's a great time, really, summer. And it really marks the start of the year for Sydney uh, with all these wonderful events that are on. Now, another one that goes, which I personally love, didn't get to go to, February, it's the Festival of Rugby. And the Sydney Sevens had its kind of first major festival here this year. It was a great event. I know some of the people here went along to that. Um, there's also the Writers Festival for those who like literature. That's just finished. And I know that there were a number of events around the city that people went to. And of course, the poor people who put on Vivid have picked this week. And I saw the weather report, it just continues to rain. And they're kind of like, oh dear, anyway, that's the reality of outdoor. But who's been out to Vivid this year? few people. Great trip in on the uh, ferry and walk around and come home. Wonderful night out, free. It's a festival, celebrating the festival of light. Now, why do we have these? Typically, we want to stop and appreciate something. And there's all sorts of festivals that appreciate all sorts of things. And I love the vivid one that in the middle of winter, we actually get drawn outdoors to see the wonder of this beautiful city. And festivals are like that, they're significant occasions, 
they celebrate different things. So why did Israel have a whole bunch of festivals? And that they did. There's seven that they were commanded to keep every year, seven festivals. Now the key question we've been asking is, how is it that you can live in the presence of a holy God? What does that mean? How is it even possible to live in the presence of a holy God? Well, we've seen it requires sacrifice that needs to be offered for our sin. And it requires a wholehearted response from the people. But we can't just go into the presence of God. We need a priest who goes before us and represents us. And we're called to be clean. And so there's a whole lot of laws there that were to teach the people right and wrong and that we had to be clean if we're to enter the presence of God. One of the festivals, so significant, it actually is the middle of the book, is the Day of Atonement. And that's festival number five or six, depending on how you number them. And that day taught the people that it was through God providing an atonement for our sin through a sacrifice that our sins could be wiped away. Two goats were on offer, one killed as a sacrifice for sin, one was confessed over the sins of the nation and they took it away as a zeal, symbolic of the fact that God wipes our sins away. And so God is the one who actually enables us to come into his presence. And we've seen that that is fulfilled through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the sacrifice, who is the priest and who does cleanse us by his atoning death so that with complete confidence we can know as his children that we dwell in his presence. It's incredible, the reality of the gospel. And that's who we are today. We are in the presence of God through the work of his son, the Lord Jesus. Now, as you turn the corner in the book of Leviticus, there's a response that the people of God are to make to his incredible grace and his forgiveness. And we saw last fortnight that it requires us to live holy lives. We don't live them to please God, we live them as an outworking of gratitude to God and thanks. We don't earn our salvation, but because we have been saved, we want to resemble our God in our character, in our lifestyle. And now we come to the seven festivals. And I think what they were designed to do was this. They really are kind of like the break going on and they cause us to stop. And stop and do four things. Firstly, stop and rest. Stop and worship. Stop and remember. Stop and rejoice. And there's a pattern to life that Israel basically are given. Now let me say, their life pattern was many ways dictated because it was an agricultural society. And so they would have lived within the seasons of a year. There's a reality that as spring comes and the winter rains have fed the ground, you would plant and then later on you would harvest. And at the end of the harvest you would bring stuff in you would store it and you'd prepare for winter and it would go on again. There's a cycle to life. And into this rhythm and cycle of life, God introduced seven festivals to punctuate their life together, to cause them to stop 
and rest and stop and worship, stop and remember, stop and rejoice. Now, the first one is in the first few verses and it's the Sabbath. But I want to just read from verses 1 and 2 before we start. Have a look at verse 1 and 2 of chapter 23. It's on the screen. The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the Israelites and say to them, These are my appointed festivals. The appointed festivals of the Lord, which you are to proclaim as sacred assemblies. And so all the ones we're going to look at are appointed by God and they're festivals. Now I say that because it's interesting, the first festival is actually the Sabbath. And we wouldn't, I think, typically have thought of the Sabbath, which is what we might translate as church, as being a festival. Um, We do want it to be joyful, but it's a regular thing. It's not like a festival like Taste of Manly, where you have it in that last week of May, you celebrate, and then you move on till the next year and when it comes around again. But actually, the first festival and the first rhythm of life that was given to the Israelite people was that they had to remember Sabbath. And so verse 3 says this, There are six days when you may work, but the seventh day is a day of Sabbath rest, a day of sacred assembly. You're not to do any work wherever you live. It is a Sabbath to the Lord. Now, the word Sabbath simply means rest. It's the Hebrew word for rest. And it was on the seventh day. And what it was designed to do was to stop the people from working. And I don't know if you've been with or lived on a farm, but there's always something to do. Always. Plants to tend to, animals to look after, etc., etc. And these Israelites were told, you must stop and rest. And the key verse, or part of the verse is at the end, it's a Sabbath to the Lord. In other words, the reason you take a day off is that you might renew your life under God and you rest with, if I can say, looking up to heaven. It's to the Lord that you're resting with Him. And it was a day that they were meant to celebrate every week with worship and remembrance and rejoicing in who they were as God's people. Now, you're probably like me, I'm sure, and when you catch up with people, you just say, how are you? How often do you hear people in our culture reply like this? Oh, it's very busy at the moment. It's a very common phrase. And it doesn't matter if I can say what occupation, what's taking up your time. All of us tend to be busy. There's always stuff to do. There's always things on. And particularly those with families and kids, it's even busier. (laughs) It's a reality of life. And you see, what this day is designed to do is to stop us from the busyness. Be it work, be it other activities, and to orientate us to God. Now that's the Sabbath. The next six festivals were annual ones. But it's worth noting, you see, at the very centre of the rhythm of life was that every week they would down their tools and they would look to heaven and they would worship and they would stop working. But then they would have six different individual annual festivals. The first was the Passover. Now, we looked last year at Exodus. 
The Passover was a special meal commemorated the night before Israel fled Egypt where they were in slavery and headed for the foreign land, the promised land. And it's called Passover because the angel of death literally passed over them, not bringing death because they were protected by the blood of the Lamb, which prophetically speaks of how we are protected from God's judgment because we are covered by the blood of the Lamb. And they ate a meal that night and they rushed off. And so good Israelite folk every year would mark that occasion by stopping and retelling the story and re-eating the meal as a way of remembrance that our God is a God who rescues. Now, the second feast ran straight off the back of that. And what they did, they had their whole lamb that was consumed and they ate it, but they ate unleavened bread. In other words, there's no yeast in it. Now, why do they have that? Because, you see, if you put yeast in your dough mix, uh, it takes quite a while for the dough to rise. Then you've got to proof it, and it rises. And if you watch MasterChef, it takes forever. Unleavened bread, you can just roll out without yeast, and you can cook it. And that's what they did, because they were in a hurry. Why? Because they weren't staying where they were, they were heading for the promised land. And so this second festival would run for seven days, and for seven days they would eat unleavened bread. That's the guts of it. And it was a time where they would stop and remember who they were. And you see, what it would have brought back to them is that they are a people who were heading to the promised land as they celebrated this every year. And it's a good reminder for us, you see, what is one of the benefits of church? For me, it keeps reminding me where I'm heading. And my final destination is not this world. This world is not there is. We are called to live in the new creation with our Heavenly Father because of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Well, that was the third festival. The fourth one is the Festival of Weeks. Now, it was called that because it literally was seven weeks after the Passover. It's what we currently call Pentecost. Now, Pentecost is remembered today as the day when the Holy Spirit was first poured out on the early church. Seven weeks, effectively, after Easter. And if you're in a more liturgically calendar-minded church, they will celebrate the day of Pentecost and it will be typically seven weeks after Easter. And when you read through, that's what is being described. From the day after the Sabbath, the day you brought the sheaf of the wave offering, which is connected with the Passover and the festival um, of unleavened bread, count off seven full weeks. Count off 50 days up to the day after the seventh Sabbath. And then present an offering of new grain to the Lord. For whenever you live, for wherever you live, Bring two loaves made of two-tenths of an ephath of the finest flour, baked with yeast as a wave offering of first fruits to the Lord. Now, what's not obvious here, but was very obvious to them, uh, this now occurs at the end of harvest season. And so they have now effectively almost finished harvesting the grain. And they basically had a grain offering. And you see, what are they doing? Um, they're effectively saying, thank you. And they're, being, they're remembering that God is the one who provides for all their needs. And this festival was designed to teach them that 
as they finished their agricultural season, they would stop and mark it with this feast and, in a sense, offer grain back to God in thanksgiving to him. And it reminds us that actually all that we have is actually from God's hand. And we have to stop every year and ask ourselves, how are we using what you have given me, Lord, for your glory? And we actually need to offer all of our lives back to him and all that we have, materially, financially, emotionally, relationally, to the Lord. That's the Feast of Weeks, Pentecost. Note, though, what it says at the end of this section. There's a fascinating verse. When you reap the harvest of your land because this was tied up with the harvest, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Leave them for the poor and for the foreigner residing among you. I am the Lord your God. And you see, what Moses was saying to them is, we need to recognise God will provide enough for us. In fact, he'll provide extra for us. And we are to harvest with margin. In other words, we don't take it all. We leave stuff for others. And you see right back here in Leviticus that they are taught to be generous with what they have and not to just take it all for themselves, but to make sure that they leave a margin so that those in need can also be looked after. It's a fascinating verse built on the principle of generosity and having margin in your life. Well, that's number four. Uh, number five, trumpets. Now, I had thought of playing a trumpet, but I didn't think it'd be quite what was talked about here. <laughs> What they would do is they literally had trumpets that would blast. On the first day of the seventh month, you were to have a day of Sabbath rest, a sacred assembly commemorating with trumpet blasts. Do no regular work, but present a food offering to the Lord. Now, we're now in the seventh month. So spring is gone. We're now into autumn. And effectively, the agricultural season with all of its crops, is coming to an end. So the grain season was coming to an end in springtime, but now all of the crops are coming to an end. So there would have been grapes, there would have been olives, and they would have been nearing the completion of the harvest. And there's a lot of festivals at this point of the year. It kind of marks the end of the year for them. Before they prepare for the winter rains to come and, in a sense, start the cycle again. And through the winter months, there wouldn't have been as much activity from an agricultural point of view. They would have harvested their crops, they would have stored them away, and they would have just been looking after the animals. And this festival was basically an opportunity for them to stop and to take stock of their lives. And they would have worked out how much they had materially from all their harvest. But importantly, they were to take stock spiritually of their lives. And stop and reflect on that. And significantly, there were four extra Sabbath days prescribed in the space of one month. That's a whole month of long weekends. I think Aussies could think seriously about being Jewish. <laughs> we love them, don't we? I mean, this is a long weekend. A lot of people have gone away, which is great. Why do they have so many long weekends? Well, it was to actually stop them. And get them to reflect, which led to the next festival, which we looked at a couple of weeks ago, the Day of Atonement. And the Lord said to Moses, the tenth day of this seventh month is the Day of Atonement. Hold a sacred assembly and deny yourselves and present a food offering to the Lord. Do not do any work on that day. 
because it's the day of atonement, when atonement is made for you before the Lord your God. Now, I don't want to speak much about this, we looked at that a couple of weeks ago, but it was a very significant day that reminded the people, effectively as their year ended, that their God was one who wiped away their sins. Azazel. Which leads me to the last one. The Festival of Booths. Such a weird name. I often wondered, what was it? Why'd they call it Booths? Now, when Israel travelled in the desert, when they fled Egypt and went to the Promised Land, they literally lived in temporary shelters. They would have had like huts, tents, made out of the stuff they could find. And this festival was to remember that. And so they literally would have to make a booth for themselves and live in it for a period. On the 15th day, the seventh month, the Lord's Festival of Tabernacles begins and it lasts for seven days. It's also called Tabernacles. The first day is the sacred assembly. Do no regular work for seven days, present offerings to the Lord. And on the eighth day, hold a sacred assembly and present a food offering to the Lord. It's the closing special assembly. Do no regular work. It was the last festival of the year. It was marked by daily offerings and it basically gave opportunity for a joyous celebration. And interestingly, in later years with Israel, particularly after the exile, uh, it took on a real sense of carnival atmosphere, a, a real sense of rejoicing amongst the people of God as they kind of finished the year in some ways a bit like our Christmas parties. And let me just say, I know something get out of hand in a not helpful way, but a good Christmas party is a great end to the year where you reflect on what's happened, you give thanks and you kind of close up shop. We have a Christmas party on staff team, it's a great time. And in some ways, this festival enabled the people to not just stop, but to stop and reflect and to give thanks. Now, What's interesting, when you go through these seven festivals, there's two phrases that keep repeating themselves. I think nine times for the first one, eight times for the second one. Moses keeps saying, it's a sacred assembly. And he keeps saying, stop working, basically. And I want you to think about those two phrases that keep getting repeated through this chapter. Sacred assembly... And do no regular work. In other words, stop working. I wonder what you think is the significance of church when we gather. The gathering of God's people in the Old Testament in this period was on the Sabbath. And it was around the tabernacle. And what Moses is saying to them is this. It's a sacred day. It's a holy day. And as we saw at the beginning of the chapter, it's a day to rest towards the Lord. So stop working. <laughs> okay? That's what he's saying. This is what you need to build into your life. A sacred rhythm. We're in the busyness and work of life and we need to work and work is good. And we want to work, we actually need something to do to be productive. It's the way we're wired at a profound level. I love the phrase of uh, a wife whose husband had retired 
And she said to him, basically, can you go and get something to do? I married you for breakfast and dinner, not for lunch. (laughs) And I talked to the men who have retired. It's like, I just want something to do. And I know for women, the reality of wanting to work is also a very real thing and achieve and feel productive. As men and women, it's how we're wired. But yet, it can become all-consuming. And we can start worshipping life. And you see, people either live for work or often they work to live. Both can be wrong. In other words, we can make an idol out of both of them. Where you live to work, you think work is ultimate and that's where you'll find your greatest area of significance through your achievements, through your status. Now let me just say, it is good to do this work, whatever that work may be, voluntary paid, at home, abroad. It's all good, but it's not ultimate. And so we must not live to work. But secondly, Australians, I think, are the opposite. We work to live. We work to have our long weekend. We work to have our holidays. We work to have our experiences. Um, And Sundays are kind of sacred, not to the Lord, they're sacred to ourselves. And we plan our Sundays typically for what we can get out of it. And we try and squeeze as much in. And church just kind of fits in where it can, often. Do you live to work or do you work to live? What this book says is actually there's something sacred about Sunday. So stop working and stop living for yourself and actually live for God because that's what the call of the gospel is. And you see, these festivals build a rhythm into the life of Israel that was basically designed to teach them what I'm calling sacred stopping. And they would stop every week and they would stop at different points through the year to do sacred stopping. As they looked to heaven and as they did those things I spoke of at the beginning, resting physically, worshipping, remembering all the benefits that come from God's hand and the blessings, I would say, in the gospel and rejoicing in him. You see, that's what sacred stopping is about. It's about having God at the centre, not ourselves. And as we serve him and live for him in this world, we stop every week to remember him. And take time out. Now, what is the rhythm for a Christian? It's interesting. The Sabbath was on the seventh day. There were seven festivals. During the festivals, there were seven days or seven Sabbaths. The majority of the festivals occurred in the seventh month. And if you read on, every seventh year, they'd have a sabbatical year. And sabbatical means a year of rest. And they literally would give the land a year of rest where they wouldn't work it, they would just see what came out of it. 
And then every seventh times seventh year, so 49 years, they had what was called the year of Jubilee. And it was a year for cancelling debts. And if you want to put it in kind of an Australian term, it was a year for a second chance. It's probably the best way to explain it. Where debts could be cancelled, mistakes overturned, and you could get a second go. And so if you're a faithful Israelite, this is the pattern you would have. Every week you stopped and rested and worshipped and remembered and rejoiced in God. And then at numerous times through the year, but particularly in the seventh month, you would particularly stop to remember particular facets of God and all the benefits that you had from Him, which culminated in a kind of festival of thanksgiving, which ended up being one of great joy. And then every seventh year, you would allow the land to rest, and every 49th year, you'd reset the clock. And so once or twice in your lifetime, you would experience the reality that people got second chances in life. What's our rhythm? I want to give you mine. I think we need daily to stop and to read the word and pray. When I grew up, it was called a quiet time. And it's a beautiful description. It's a time to be quiet and rest and to hear God speak and to spend time praying. Now, I know for some of us, just trying to find a quiet place can be a challenge, particularly for young mums. And you've got to be very creative <laughs> and work hard to try and find that space for busy business people. It can also be difficult. But a very important daily routine is to actually find some time to be quiet and to pray and read. Let me encourage you to pursue that. If you need help, please let us know on the Connect Cards. Every week, I want to be with God's people to rest and to worship and to remember and to rejoice. And it doesn't matter where I am in the world, let me say I don't travel much, <laughs> I will always want to be in church on Sunday. And some of my most memorable times in going to church have been visiting other churches. And we've had some wonderful experiences and we always go on holidays because we want to stop and remember actually God's in charge and I worship Him, not my holiday. Last holidays we went to a number of different churches. I went to St Barnabas Broadway in the city, went to go and see Friends Church who runs that. We're up the coast, we drove half an hour to go to a church plant at Foster. Very interesting experience, no band, no volunteers for it. And they cancelled the band that night to basically communicate to the church, you guys need to step up. I thought, bold move, good on you. Quite interesting, not going to church, going to church and not singing. But they were basically saying, we can't keep running the way we are. Small church, fascinating. We went to uh, Tasmania and um, we went to a lovely Presbyterian church there and had a fantastic message. One of the best sermons I've heard this year was actually from the church in Tassie. Uh, great message on Jonah chapter 4. Uh, let me say, all the messages here are great, but it was really good. And I remember them. And we've had some great fellowship in these places on holidays. But here this year, I think every Sunday I come here, I love it. And I love it for a number of different reasons. I love it because I get to see you guys every week. Really. It's a joy to be here. 
That's part of the reality of church. Every week I hear a great message here. Every week I will hear things that will encourage me, be it in the service or afterwards. Every week I get an opportunity to serve. It doesn't mean preaching, just to go and talk to people and encourage them. And every week what's actually most important is my heart gets reorientated back to heaven. And I keep being told, actually, I'm a child of God and I'm saved in Christ every week because every week we hear something of the gospel. And if I can just add to that, the other weekly routine and discipline of life is to meet with some other believers and just read the Bible and pray with them. It's so important that I know people at a more intimate level and they know me that we are known and that we know and that we read the word together and we pray for each other. And if you're not in that sort of close fellowship, find some people to be with or come and join one of the groups. Talk to Scott, talk to Suzanne. It's such an important discipline. And then within our year, we have significant events where we stop. We stop at Christmas. We stop for prayer and fasting. We stop for Easter. We celebrate at other different points with the Commitment Day series and the celebration dinner. And that's our year. And you see, it's all built round knowing Christ and understanding the gospel and living that out every day of our life. And friends, that's what this teaches me, that we need to be involved in the art of sacred stopping. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you that we can be here today and stop and rest and worship you and remember all the benefits that come from your hand and rejoice that we are your people and in who you are. Father, fill us with joy, fill us with confidence and assurance in Christ. And Father, help us to learn the art of sacred stopping, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.